Welcome to One Haas, a podcast devoted to bringing the Haas community closer together through your stories. I'm your host, Sean Lee, and my mission is to help open our eyes to the network we never knew we had. Today I'm here with Matt Saverin. He is EW2020, a fellow OSCE with me. Tell us a little bit about your background, I guess, from college days. Sure. Yeah, starting from college days, and it, I think it predates a little bit because just mm-hmm. having a family that was in real estate, my dad was a tax lawyer, did all this kind of stuff. I was exposed to a lot. But I think that in college, I exposed myself to a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. I did a private wealth management internship. I did a high-frequency trading, like an algorithmic trading mm-hmm. internship. Was this at UBS? Uh, so UBS was the private wealth management okay. side. That was in Boulder, Colorado. The high frequency trading shop was in Chicago. Mm-hmm. It's called Buttonwood Group Trading. That was a whole nother story because the guy basically let me in for no reason. Right. I, I wasn't a I didn't know computer science at all or anything like that, but definitely a really interesting experience. High frequency trading. I that was yeah, that was literally that would have been in two thousand, I guess two thousand ten uh-huh. or right around that. Yeah. I mean this is you, it was not too far off when the flash crash happened and all yep. this different stuff. So learned a lot from that. Had also started a company where we basically, we did two things. One was peer-to-peer textbook exchange. Mm-hmm. And then the second one was like a kayak.com for textbooks. You know, this like is the flight engine. college? Or? Yeah, this is during okay. college. This was uh, my sophomore year. Basically when I got back, it started the company with a couple other people. I was basically on the finance side. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had obviously a CEO. We had like a marketing guy and a couple other things. But that was the idea was to try to take over the world. Mm-hmm. You know that that didn't necessarily work that round, mm-hmm. but it was a really fun experience. I mean, is that, is that dream still alive? No, I, I I guess to an extent because <laughs> what I did is I angel invested in a company that was on Shark Tank called uh-huh. Packback Books. Okay, Chicago-based company, really really smart guys. I think they did it way better than we did. So the dream's still alive, but I'm letting somebody else do it, coming in in an angel investing role. And there's 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 still around. They're still around. Okay. Oh yeah, they actually just got a another round of financing. So they did their Series A round with University Ventures. Oh nice. So really well regarded ed tech uh, right. venture firm. Let's uh, dial it back a little bit. Talk to us a little bit about your time at Goldman Sachs. Sure. Yeah. So I would say the way that I thought about it is coming to college was open option first. Mm-hmm. Try to figure out what I really want to do. Always had this thing with my family in the background thinking, okay, well, I come from a real estate family. Should I be doing that? What else? Like, how should I be thinking about my career? Took basically the full four years to figure out what I wanted to be. I had no idea though, even though I spent all this time trying to think through my career, I had no idea what an equity research analyst was uh-huh. or what they did, but I still wound up uh, joining Goldman. And this is one other thing too. When I, when I was going through the interview process, I interviewed at probably you know, 50 to 60 firms, mm-hmm. submitted job applications to about 120. Goldman was one of a very, very select few that actually gave me a shot. So I wound up taking it. I wound up going into equity research something I had no idea what it really was. It was a really interesting experience though. I mean, you you go there, you obviously grind it out. It's it's a very intense experience. Mm-hmm. Worked as an equity research analyst for, you know, about 2 years covering the master limited partnership space, so oil and gas infrastructure. Mm. I had worked for a for a guy by the name of Ted Durbin. There was also Jaron Holder and Steve Shirowski as the lead analysts. Mm-hmm. So three lead analysts that I was working for. When I actually immediately joined, we covered 38 companies. There was uh, 
two other analysts on the team. So we basically had a fully staffed team at six. Mm -hmm. Immediately, one of those analysts had left. That person left for a variety of reasons. She had been in the Salt Lake program for about three years, which is overextended relative to what they had offered people up to that point. Mm -hmm. She left, she went to Burger King Corporation. It's doing really, really well now. The other person actually then left the other analyst. Yeah. So I'm the sole analyst. Then we ramp up coverage of an incremental 28 names. Yeah. Immediately, I'm having to build a lot of company models, do all this kind of stuff. I learned a lot. A lot of research analysts, just so you have the context too, when you're an equity research analyst, if you cover 25 to 30 companies, that's considered a lot. Yeah. Within the MLP space, like you could say, okay, well, some of those are GPs, some of them are LPs. Mm -hmm. well, so what there's overlap. Uh, general partner or limited partnership. Okay. So it's basically like which portion of the company are you on? Are you basically just a pure play general partner, which means that you're taking a portion of the incentive distribution rights mm -hmm. from the LP. So a portion of the cash flow comes through, goes up to the general partner level. Right. You need to understand a couple things, the GP, uh, but not a lot. So that's why I'm making the point, the distinction. Mm -hmm. If you cover, call it 70 companies, maybe it's really like you cover 35 or 40. Mm. Still a lot relative to what others cover in the research space. Mm. But being the analyst, having to ramp up coverage on that many names, that was a really intense experience for me. Hmm. You know, coming out of college, not really even knowing what it was supposed to be at first, yeah. um, and then going through that experience. You know, the two years, I look back at that time, and I feel like I learned a lot from it. I will never forget the lessons that I learned from it. Mm -hmm. And I actually made a lot of really good friends being in the pit hmm. like with all the other analysts. Because the way that they structure Salt Lake City or the way that they did structure Salt Lake City at the time, there were no senior analysts there. Mm. So my direct managers were all in New York. There was one guy, Rick Skidmore, who led the program from Salt Lake City. So he would train us. He was a really brilliant guy. Mm -hmm. He had covered paper and packaging. Um, I think he covered a, a few other things too, but he was amazing, really good mentor. Uh, but you had one guy yeah. for 20 to 30 junior analysts. Wow. So learned a lot. Uh, it was very intense. I don't have too many bad things to say about it, except for I'm I'm still tired from that experience. Yeah. But uh, I think one of the most interesting things about you, Matt, is uh, pretty much uh, just just hearing how you apply to you know hundred companies and what kind of determination does that take? I mean, that's that's almost unheard of with, with people just I don't know, like not knowing no, sure. what they're going to do, yeah. and, and then just how do you even have that kind of determination and focus to say, all right, I'm not even sure what the hell this stuff is, but I'm going to apply to a hundred companies. Yeah, I mean, well, well, people may that are listening to this too are probably like, he had no idea what he wanted to do. I think that's exactly right. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I just I looked at other people's paths that I respect, mm. like my dad, for example. He's a guy that you know I really really look up to. Yeah. He, he, he went the law route and it was really hard for him, but he didn't become a lawyer. Mm -hmm. He did it for, a time, for like a really, really small fraction of his life. And then he went and did something completely else. Mm. I think of all these things, it's like if you find the right company or the right building blocks for you and your career, the first couple years of your career, it's all, it's all for something else, mm. in my opinion. Unless you find something that's incredible. Mm -hmm. But the first, you know, the first three years of a career, those tend to be building blocks for people. So that's the way that I thought about it. I thought, this is a great organization. I'm going to learn a lot, so why not take it? The other ones that I was applying to, they're not small companies. I wasn't applying to you know, a lot of startups or like some of these like venture-type positions where it was like a two-year program. These were things that I was like, you can look up to people who took a career path approach to this. 
understand how they thought about it, understand how others thought about it within the company if there were different divisions, and try to figure out really quickly. Like within an investment bank, you can mm-hmm. do that because there's the bankers. You know, you have the merchant bankers, the investment bankers. So you have some of the more salesy type guys. You have prime brokerage. You have equity sales. You have equity research. You get to know all these people. You get to see all their paths. So it's not like I just took one role and it was equity research and that's what it could have been my entire life. I kind of looked at it as, you know, you have three years, you're going to get great building blocks. Mm-hmm. I, I, I set the three-year limit myself. I went up staying there for a little over three years, but I always thought about that early portion of my career as building the, the fundamental building blocks in which I understand the way that I really want to think about my career. I mean, I guess what I'm trying to get at is knowing your background story a lot more now. Uh, about how you know you, you you went through high school as a uh, as a professional snowboarder, and then uh, as you're saying, you're claiming yourself that you didn't really care much for school during college. Most kids like that don't end up where you're at. Like, what is it about you that makes you so laser focused, and and how do you make those decisions? Sure, I mean. I literally could take this question any which way, but I think what it is is, you know, if you go back to even when I was a kid, like when I was just kind of like three, four, five years old, starting to pick up sports, I would focus on one sport for two to three years, mm-hmm. try to master it to the best of my ability, mm-hmm. move to the next one, master that to the best of my ability. I think what happened for me is that. I've always had this deep passion for things, right? Mm-hmm. So whether it be snowboarding, mm-hmm. right? Which I, I guess I focused on that for 10-ish years. That's probably one of the longest things that I focused on in my life. Mm-hmm. To date, just I'm being pretty young. Yeah. You know, 10 years of your life when you're not even 30 yet, that's, yeah. that's a huge portion. Right. Um, that was the biggest thing I focused on. But I buy like little things like skateboarding. Mm-hmm. I did for maybe four years, focus, 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 would do competitions, mountain biking, focus, 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 compete. Uh, did downhill competitions, four cross competitions where you got the four guys on bikes next to each other going off jumps. I would stay laser, laser focused on every single thing that I would do. So I'd have my on-season sports, the snowboarding, my off-season sports, the biking, and that's all I would do. Snowboarding, when I was in Aspen, I'd do that five days a week. Biking, in the summer, I'd do every day. Mm-hmm. I did the same thing, like I think about the, the same way with my career, mm-hmm. right? So if I'm, if I'm doing, say I'm back at Goldman, if I'm doing that, that's what I am doing. That's my life, mm-hmm. right? I'll have some hobbies, but that's what I'm focused on. Similar, I'm, cu- I'm yeah. curious about the mindset because especially in this day and age when there's so many distractions, I'm just talking about options in terms of opportunities that people have, you know, coming to, to grad school, especially that there's so many routes that you can go. How do you decide on this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to focus on. And that's the only thing I want to focus on. I want to say you might take that sure. for granted as like, Oh, this is something that I do. Uh, I, I'm more so curious of how you either develop that or has that just always been a part of you? Or I've always just, you know, I, I just dive in. Mm-hmm. I, I'll kind of test the water. I'll stick my, my pinky toe in and figure out, does this feel right? Mm-hmm. But the second that something feels right, I trust it and I just go all in. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the way I've always approached it. That's, I think that's really important. But I think also like, you know, this could go a hundred different ways. When I was at Goldman, I didn't know what I really wanted to be doing, yeah. right? So then I started to figure it out. I started to understand where I wanted to focus, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why I did some of those things like the, uh, the pack back books. I was mm-hmm. still passionate about that from my college days. Um, so I was like, you know what? This will be fun 
something fun as like a little bit of a hobby to do on the side. I don't have to do it, but I can go watch it. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of hedged it. So if I ever wanted to go do that eventually or be like a venture capitalist or something, that's right there. I've Mm -hmm. done it. I've learned from it. You know, I've actually lost some money on it because, and I learned how all these VC structures in or work out because university ventures came in and decided they wanted to you know, screw around with some of the seeds. Yeah. Uh, so I learned a lot from that, but it was not like I wasn't laser, laser focused on it, but I've, I've learned from it along the way. I think that if I hadn't found such an incredible opportunity that is the firm that I'm at now, mm-hmm. I probably would have kept, you know, going along and, you know, spending more time doing that kind of stuff or, or testing the waters on different things. Can you talk a little bit about um, what you do now? Sure. Yeah. So I work for an investment management firm. It's called Bayshore Global Management. So basically just managing money. Okay. And are you looking at Berkeley for, you said, an advancement now versus yeah. switching before, right? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's similar to like what I've been talking about when I was at Goldman um, is actually when I had, had applied. Mm-hmm. So it's funny. I actually found out that I got into Berkeley for the EWMBA for class of 2019, but I had to defer because the same day I found out I got Berkeley, I also got this new job. Okay. So I, in the interview process, they were basically like, well, what are you going to do if you get into Berkeley? Right. Cause I was open about it, yeah. obviously you sh- as you should be mm-hmm. It's a super, super small company, small team. Um, I said, okay, I, I would defer. Then when I got in, it was like, okay, well now what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got the job. I got this. What do I tell it? Like, do I say, Hey, I got to be in the class 2019 or do I actually defer? Do I go do this? Yeah. Um, I wound up deferring, but but yeah, the, the company that I'm at now, it's, it's incredible. Like we're a really small team. Um, my, va- my value system is just so aligned with the way that the company thinks. It's incredible. Like it, is- it feels so different. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I value trust, honesty, openness. And I mean, we're in that ethics class too. So you may tell me that those may not be the best ethics, but <laughs> we're, we'll leave that debate to the classroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I've, I really value those things. So when somebody's open with me, they trust me. They give me autonomy. Um, it means a lot. I, that's something I didn't necessarily have at Goldman. Mm. It's something I really feel like I have now. And I think that's basically allowed me to unlock a lot of the value or the hidden value per se in my career. No, that's, that's fascinating. So you're looking to advance uh, to what position? Well, well, I guess what positions are yeah. available in your, in uh, your realm? Yeah, so I mean, I don't even, when I was at Goldman, I thought a lot more about positions because mm-hmm. Goldman's structured as you're an analyst, an associate, then a VP, then an MD, and then a partner. Yeah. Here, it's three of us. Right. It's three of us on the investment team. We'll be fully staffed at four. Um, but we'll basically have a head of investments, head of private equity, and right now there's myself mm-hmm. as the investment associate. And then we'll have one more person to run public markets. Mm-hmm. My goal is basically, you know, coming from a real estate family, having done the infrastructure, that's the stuff I'm really passionate about. Like mm-hmm. there's not, it, there's some chance that I fell into the Goldman Sachs model, but going into the MLP space and the infrastructure space, that's not random. Mm-hmm. I was really passionate about that actually. Um, and then having the family in real estate, always loving the stuff that my dad did, always loving seeing like the strip shopping centers, going and walking properties, mm-hmm. um, dealing with tenant issues, dealing with design issues, always thought it was ridiculously interesting. Hmm. Um, I could literally go look at like a water or like a sewage plant and think it's the coolest thing ever because I love infrastructure. It's, it's nuts. So my goal is really hopefully uh, within the organization over the next couple of years um, is to, you know, do a little bit more focus around the real asset side. So real estate and infrastructure, Got but it. Uh, we'll see where it goes. I mean, I'm, I'm taking the approach personally of, um, you know, 
that opportunity, if if I was given it today, mm-hmm. wouldn't make sense. Right. Like I can't just go do that. It needs to be organic in the way that it happens. Mm-hmm. So I need to be where I need to be with my learning mm-hmm. and understanding of of the group, knowing enough of the players, having respect on that front. Um, and really being and building into that position within my team. That's kind of how I'm thinking about it. Got it. I know we've only been eight months in, but what have you found most valuable uh, through this Haas experience? And what are you looking forward to? Yeah, I mean, I would say, well, I mean, I could take this a couple ways as well, but I'll also tell you what the hardest part is, mm-hmm. if that's that? of interest. Yeah. It's, hard, it's really hard to manage, right? So you've got a full-time career, mm-hmm. I have a kid, so I have a, a year and a half year old, and I've got another kid coming. I've got yep. a wife at home. Yep. I've got two golden retrievers, a house, all the payments, a big commute. It's a lot. Uh, you're commuting from, sorry. I can be from Danville to Palo, Danville in the East Bay mm-hmm. to Palo Alto. Okay. That's like some, it's taken me three hours before, but it's typically you know, a little bit over an hour. Right. You figure out how to optimize it though, right? So you, you talk to study groups on your drive. And well, actually one more thing that I'll add, I'm actually taking a Wednesday night class as well right now, in addition to our Saturday mm-hmm. program. So it's a lot, but you find ways to optimize for it. And I'd, I'd say the most valuable thing is just, actually it's, it's the people, that's it. The people that you're here with, that you're learning from, sitting next to every single day, mm-hmm. it's different. And I think it's a, that's actually why I chose this program too. I didn't want to be at a place that I thought was a little bit more homogenous, right? I didn't, I didn't want to be somewhere where everybody looked just like me. They were at Goldman. They did the banking route. They were in private equity or did whatever. I wanted to be by the people who thought differently because mm. those are the people who are going to help me shape the way that I think about the world. Mm-hmm. I don't need, like, I can talk to people in my day job about real estate, real assets, talk to my family about it, do any of those types of things. Yeah. I don't necessarily need to talk to another person who's trying to do the same exact thing that I'm trying to do and talk to 50 or 100 or 200 of those people right. and I'll try to figure it out together. Like That's something I could do within my industry and I'll meet those people. Mm-hmm. I want to meet people who are innovating, people mm-hmm. who are creating technology, people who think about the world differently. Not because that's necessarily what I want to do, but because there are just things that you learn from that. Mm-hmm. And uh, just following up on my question, what are you looking forward to it? for the next two and a half years? Well, right, right now, I'm looking forward to the summer. <laughs> looking forward to a little bit of time off and, and having the new baby. But I'm really looking forward to taking more real estate classes. Berkeley's got an incredible real estate program. So right now, the Wednesday class that I mentioned, it's land development. Mm-hmm. Bill Fallick teaches it. He's incredible. He basically created an entirely new city in Roseville near Sacramento. Wow. So he basically went through the annexation process, had been a practicing sequel lawyer in the past, you learn from stuff like that. Like I'm in, I'm in the program, I'm at Haas, yeah. but in that class, there's planners there, there's architects, there's lawyers, there's engineers, there's business students. Mm-hmm. It's inter- interdisciplinary. This is a Haas class? or This is a class that's actually taught, it's got a Haas title, so it's got the EWMBA program header. Got it. Also has you know, the, the law header. Mm. So it's taught in Bolt, which is right next to Haas. So in the law school, got but it. it's literally right here. There's a lot, it's pretty much, you know, there's five disciplines, it's basically 20% in each. What's your ultimate objective? Being a company where my values are aligned, my wife's really happy. I feel like I have a huge sense of purpose. Not like, the way that I think about it is, 
I have a good work-life balance. I have purpose, right? So I think um, you know, next five years are going to be really exciting. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for being on this podcast, Matt. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in today. My aim is to bring the Haas community closer together through your stories. We're always looking for Haasies willing to share their stories and experiences so that we can give you more insights into the different programs, different careers, and ultimately different perspectives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please feel free to email me for suggestions on how I can improve this podcast, or if you have any recommendations on people or content you'd like to hear. My email is reachshawn at berkeley.edu. That's spelled R-E-A-C-H-S-E-A-N at berkeley.edu. 